With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome in once again to the QB11 show. I am Doug Scott, joined as always by QB11 himself, Andrew. Good evening. Good Thanksgiving Eve. It is. You're right. You're going to have some turkey tomorrow, going to some ham. What are you eating? That's the plan. Um, I don't really know what's on the menu, but it's free, so that's good. Um, and it's supposedly going to be pretty good. So we're go- I'm going to a friend's house uh, since I won't be in Oregon for Thanksgiving this year. So it'll be interesting to experience somebody else's Thanksgiving festivities. Yeah, my hot take, or maybe not so hot take, is turkey is extremely overrated. Uh, ham, ham is certainly superior to turkey. Oh, by far. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, everyone does turkey or most people do turkey and, it, you know, you smother enough gravy on there. It's fine. How do you feel about uh, macaroni and cheese as a Thanksgiving dish? I mean, I've heard about it long enough now that I, it's not surprising to hear people talk about it. It's certainly not something I grew up with as as a Thanksgiving dish. I mean, you know, pretty much turkey, mashed potatoes and gravy, stuffing cranberry sauce, you know, and that's pretty much what I grew up with, but you know, whatever, uh, you know, whatever makes people happy. I know that's probably more of a Southern thing, I think. Um, but it's probably made its way, you know, across the country more of late as well. I mean, mac and cheese is just so good. Um, I, okay. I hate cranberry sauce. I think cranberry sauce is like, it's the worst part of it. Like the standard Thanksgiving plate. I, I just don't touch it. What's your go-to um, Thanksgiving pie or dessert? Okay, so my my grandfather makes a really, really, really elite apple pie, and like that is probably the one thing that I'm going to be missing the most this Thanksgiving is like makes it fresh the day of, just right out of the oven, like with a scoop of ice cream. That is like the most elite yeah. dessert. Like I, I like I like pumpkin pie as well. Um, I like pies in general, but apple pie, especially when it's fresh, like fresh out of the oven, those, that warm apple slice, like the cinnamon, anything with cinnamon, you could really get me with. Um, But yeah, definitely apple pie. Grandpa's apple pie for for certain. Yeah. I'm with you on the apple pie. That's my go-to for, for Thanksgiving as well. Um, I don't like pumpkin pie at all. Um, I I, long, long ago at, at one of my places of employment before I had children, I used to make, like three or four years in a row, I would make Thanksgiving pies for everyone in the office. So I would take orders and then I'd bake like 15 or 20 pies. Good Lord. Uh, and I know. I don't know. I was a nice guy. I don't know why I did that. But what the, I don't know. I got old. I got grumpy. I don't know. <laughs> you haven't offered to make me a single pie since we've done this podcast. I'll, I'll send you an apple pie. All right. Yeah. I um, want certified male um, apple pie. Next air. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the one, the one that I had never made before that, but that was requested by several people that I made 
And after having made it and seen how it's made and what goes in it, I can't believe people eat pecan pie. Like it is absolutely disgusting. Was was your pecan pie good? Like, did they like your pie? Uh, they they said it was great, but I it's it's like it's like a gallon of caro syrup, like corn syrup. It's crazy. It's just it's like three cups of corn syrup in a single pie. Yeah, so of course they like it. It's just sugar, right? You're just got a sugar high, and you throw some pecans in there. It's disgusting. Well, I mean, you kind of need the sugar high, like especially like I, I'm a I'm more of a carbs guy than a sweets guy. Like I'd much rather just like gorge on like the main course, like any type of bread that's involved in in the meal. Count me in on that. Oh yeah. Um, but like I need, I definitely am the type that needs a like a solid forty five minute break between dinner and dessert on Thanksgiving. Like I need oh, to find sure. a, a nice large open space on the ground where I could just lay on my back and digest and maybe fall asleep for a few minutes. Um. We go to our we go to a family's house most Thanksgivings, um, and, and tomorrow we'll be going to my wife's family as well. And I pretty much fall asleep on a in a recliner or a couch or something <laughs> like literally every time every year. It's a it's a tradition. They start playing cards. I'm over snoozing in a chair, and then yeah, you, you know, just take about a forty five minute nap, and then you're up and ready for the dessert. And then it's like okay, time to go home. Yeah, for sure. There's a that's like one of my other favorite things too, is like being with family, playing board games and stuff. Um, so for those of you that get to be with your family this year, uh, make sure I, I know family can be obnoxious uh, and annoying at times, but um, love on them. Enjoy, enjoy the time, right? Cause life is short. So um, on that somewhat somber note, let's, let's move on to uh, some football talk. Yeah, yeah, we got a we got a rivalry weekend ahead. Obviously, starting with the Ducks and the Beavers in the game, not not known as the Civil War anymore. No, no, this um, podcast will refer to it as the Civil War. Works for me. So the Civil War game in Corvallis this year, uh, Ducks and Beavers. It's going to be a good one. Uh, both teams have a lot on the line there, and of course, it's rivalry weekend around the country as well. This game's on Saturday this year. It feels like the Civil War has kind of bounced around between Friday and Saturday over the last decade or so. I think it was originally scheduled for Friday and then got moved to Saturday sometime before the season started. So, um, obviously, the Ducks are 9-2. and two. They win this game. They're in the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas the following Friday against USC. And the Oregon, in that scenario, would be the home team and the number one seed. Um, if they lose the game, they could still back their way in to the title game. If Washington also loses the Apple cup, which of course we'd want to see them lose that game. No, no matter what, um, if, if Washington wins the Apple cup, however, then either Washington or Utah would represent the, the other side of the PAC 12 against USC, presuming Utah wins. And depending on the UCLA California game determines whether USC, I'm sorry, whether Utah or Washington would get that second spot should Oregon lose. But if Oregon wins, it's clean, it's simple. Oregon goes and plays USC. And uh, we'll be talking about that next week should that happen. Well, let's break down this game first because first things first. Ducks, Beavers, Beavers are eight and three, looking to get to nine and three. And they have. they don't have a chance to make it to the the title game, but they do have a lot on the line. A nine win season would be their first nine win season in, in a very long time. 
and obviously would give them uh, a six and three record in conference bragging rights in the rivalry over their in-state rivals. Maybe they'll put up another billboard if they win. And of course um, they get a better bowl out of that as well. So Oregon state is not going to be an easy game this week. It's a three and a half point spread in favor of the ducks. Where do you want to start on this one? Um, well, first, first thing I want to acknowledge is that if if Dan Lanning manages to win this game, he will be just the third Oregon head coach to win ten games in their first year. Uh, Chip Kelly was the first. Mark Helfrich was the second. Um, Oregon or Dan Lanning would be the third. Uh, let, let's start. Uh, with, also, win an extra three hundred thousand dollars if he wins this game. Is it three hundred k? Yeah, it's two hundred k for winning his tenth game, and then a hundred k for going to the Pac-12 title game. So, oh, good for you, Dan. I love that for you. That's nice just little, great. Nice little payday. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, so I think one of the things that also needs to be said is this has major like Oregon State Super Bowl like written all over it. Um, I fully expect that the Beavers are going to be really fired up and ready to go in this game, and so the idea that you're just going to like kind of saunter into to a although half capacity racer um, and walk out with a win is not the case. So hopefully Oregon is prepared and um, ready, ready to fight because I know that the Beavers like this is their everything for this year. They don't have a conference title to play for. They don't have a Rose potential Rose bowl to play for. Um, so this is, this is a really important game for them as well. They'd love to, to ruin our season. Um, so with that said, let's, let's talk a little bit about this Oregon state offense going against the o- Oregon defense a little bit. Um, ben Gobranson will remain the starting quarterback, according to Jonathan Smith uh, from his press conference on Monday. Chance Dolan might be available, but regardless, they're going to roll with Gobranson for the rest of the season. Um, Gobranson has been solid for them. Uh, had a lot of poor turnover luck early on, or I guess he turned the ball over a lot early. Uh, slowly become more consistent, but he's definitely not someone that they're counting on a lot in the passing game. Uh, the Beavers are without Luke Musgrave. They're potentially going to be without Anthony Gold, or Gold, I think is how it's pronounced, uh, who's one of the faster receivers on the team. Uh, Treshawn Harrison is the clear number one outside receiver, uh, a familiar name to Oregon fans, was at one point committed to Oregon, followed Willie Taggart down to Florida State before transferring back out west and, and landing in Corvallis. Um, the, the star of the show for this Oregon State um, offense is certainly the running back, Damian Martinez, true freshman out of Texas, uh, running behind a really experienced offensive line. Um, Brandon Kipper, the the right guard, has been there for what seems like two decades at this point. Uh, but a, a very solid group. I mean, Oregon State offensively is 28th nationally in EPA per rush. Um, in in general, they've been that like they they've leaned heavily at one point this season. I'm not sure what their uh, rates are currently. There were 73% run to pass. Um, so very, very heavily relying on the run game to establish uh, establish their offense. Um, and because of that, they don't have a super high quality possession rate because they're very dependent on success in early downs and staying ahead of the chains. Uh, because whenever they are in third and long situations, uh, Gil Branson is very statuesque in the pocket and hasn't proven to be particularly dynamic or accurate downfield. Yeah, their rate's about 61% on the season. So um they're, they're, they're a heavily run team, as you mentioned. Yeah, Gobranson, when he first took over for Nolan, was looked to be just as interception prone. I think his first game there against Utah, he did not look good at all. But he's he's really kind of buckled down and been um, a much safer with the ball since then. 
doesn't particularly throw a lot for a lot of yards. I mean, he had 137 in the 38 to 10 win over Cal, only 23 attempts, two touchdowns, no picks. And then he threw for 188 last week against Arizona State and another big win. But, you know, these are games that Oregon State, you know, blew out both of these opponents, which are their, their two, by far their two biggest wins, you know, from a margin standpoint on the season. But they just went all in on the run game. They don't play a lot of... um they don't, they don't particularly play at a high tempo either. They don't run a lot of plays in total in most games. So, you know, that keeps their overall play count down. They definitely lean on the run game uh, as much as they can. And when when Goldbranson is forced to draw back in, you know, third and long situations, it's really, I think that's really an opportunity for the Oregon defense to, to maybe force them into some mistakes, right? When or- Oregon State is, when they're playing ahead of the chains, they pretty much won't throw the ball even on third and fourth down. They bring in the wildcat with Coletto on anything, you know, third and four or shorter. And they'll usually make two con two, two, two attempts at it to get the first down. And they're usually pretty successful in those situations. Uh, third and short, fourth and short. They're, they're very successful in those scenarios. I think Oregon, if they want to get off the field, they need to really step up on first and second down and keep Oregon state behind the chains. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's an area where, just looking at this Oregon defense, even prior to last week, last week very clearly the best performance for the for the year. Um, but even prior, Oregon's done a pretty good job of stopping the run. Um, or Oregon is uh, sits at forty third in line yards allowed defensively. They sit at forty uh, second EPA per rush allowed, which aren't elite numbers by any stretch, but that's the top third of college football. Um, and when you're giving up as much through the air and deploying as many resources as the Ducks have been um, to to stopping the pass and just kind of sitting back in zone, it's it's kind of maybe reduced some of the effectiveness of the, of the run game, run defense as well. Um, but I think that this is a matchup in which, like Oregon State has, as arguably, I would say he's probably the best offensive line coach in the conference, and Jim Mahalachek. Um, he does a really, really good job with that group. Like that group doesn't have any highly recruited guys. It doesn't have anyone that would like really individually jump out to you if you were like an NFL scout watching them looking for future prospects. But what they do really well is they run their wide zone schemes as well as anybody in the co- in the country. Uh, just really in sync. They do a good job with their handoffs, climbing to the second level, um, and they're ba- they have really good backs at reading and picking and sliding off zone schemes. And so what that means for Oregon is. If, if a team's going to run these like stretch zone, wide zone plays against you, you need to create knockback on the interior of the defensive line. So players like Jordan Riley, players like uh, Taki Taimani, Brandon Dorless, uh, Casey Rogers, that had a lot of success last week doing that against Utah, who actually deploys a fairly similar run game. Uh, we'll have to do that again this week. The, the one nice thing for Oregon uh, when you're defending an Oregon State team, and, and this was a problem for Utah that we that we saw as the game wore on, is Utah, outside of Dalton Kincaid, didn't really have anybody on the outside that they can consistently rely on to create separation um, and become like a go-to player. Without Luke Musgrave at tight end, uh, without potentially Anthony, Anthony Gould in the slot, they'll be relying on Tyjon Lindsey and Treshawn Harrison. Um, and I'm sure that Gonzo will just mirror Harrison in this game for the most part, as that's what Oregon, Oregon has done to most of the number one uh, receiving threats on most teams this year. I, I don't know that Oregon State is really fully equipped with the type of 
threats on the outside to take advantage of what has been an extremely porous Oregon secondary. Oregon is 117th uh, in EPA per pass allowed. Um, and even without all the, like without having a bunch of great threats, Ben Gobranson himself, I don't know, would be able, if he'd be able to, um, like, let's say you just gave him Jordan Addison and, and, and some of the other better receivers in the conference. I don't know that I have a lot of faith in Ben Gobranson to push the ball downfield uh, with any level of consistency without putting the ball in harm's way. So it's kind of an interesting uh, thing where you have the strength of the Oregon State offense and the strength of the Oregon defense going up against one another. And then you also have the weakness of, of both units uh, colliding through through the air. And so I think whoever gets the best of the strength on strength is going to have a lot of success in this game. Yeah, I think if you're Oregon and if Oregon State wants to come out and, and try to beat you in through the air, you're going to welcome that challenge, right? I think um, they don't have the weapons like like a Washington does, uh, for example, and even they don't have a Dalton Kincaid at, at tight end either. So I, I think that's a trade that, that Oregon would gladly take their chances with in that scenario. But I don't expect that to happen. I think Oregon State will attack this game very similar to the way we saw Utah last week, which with a really run heavy attack on early downs. And I think really that first down is going to be key, right? If Oregon can, you know, can get them into second and eight, you know, second and seven, second, eight, second and nine, I think that's going to set up the ducks really well. If Oregon state's, you know, getting five yards on first down consistently, then that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, so one yeah. one thing of note for Oregon defensively too is Jonathan Smith is is a really really talented play caller. He does a really good job of finding ways to keep people off balance, despite the fact that he doesn't have a really potent passing game this year. Um, so I discipline looking out for trick plays, uh, making sure that misdirection stuff doesn't just create chunks against you, uh, and staying in your lanes is going to be really important in this game. If it, it's about each guy kind of doing their one eleventh and embracing that this week. Uh, because Jonathan Smith is certainly the type of play caller that will make you pay um, if you get aggressive or if your eyes get lazy um, and, and you'll, you'll find yourself out of position. Yeah, they run, they kind of run those jet sweeps, you know, end around has kind of been a big part of his, his uh, arsenal for a long time. You know, this year, you know, Bolden um, gets, gets some of those uh, as well as some of their other players, but that's, that's been, and that's been in their arsenal for a long time. So I would expect, you know, them to pull that a few times as well. Yeah. If Oregon can, can keep a- uh, Damian Martinez down in this game, I think that's a very clear indicator of success. Um, it, stopping them on first down, forcing Ben Gobranson to beat you through the air is, is, is frankly a matchup that I think despite Oregon not being great in the secondary um, is, is very palatable for the staff coming into the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll take that. You'll take your chances in those matchups all day long. Um, should we switch over to the other side of the ball a little bit? Yeah, well, let's do that. I This is kind of an area where I think there's going to be some pretty noticeable improvement for Oregon this week. Not necessarily because I think Bo is going to be 100% healthy. Uh, I think everyone anticipates he's going to play. Uh, he he gave a good soundbite yesterday just kind of saying that um, he feels a lot better than he did last Tuesday, which is kind of par for the course. Um, some of the things that I had heard, like they definitely were not sure if Bo was going to play. They really didn't think he was going to play until Saturday. Um, and so the fact that we're now a whole nother week removed uh, from from that wa- that injury against Washington – 
I'm, I'm hoping that that means that there's some additional comfort level with Bo, at least to the point where they can start to incorporate some of the, maybe the under center run game, um, the 14 personnel stuff, maybe a little bit more of like the half and quarter roll into the offense again. Cause even if he can't take off and run and pick up a bunch of yardage or be a factor in the, in the, in the run game on his own, um, just being able to incorporate certain elements back into the offense, uh, I think will make things a lot easier going for this Oregon run game. Yeah, for sure. I think I was pretty hard um, in our podcast last week, and even you know before that and after. I think I was I was pretty, I think I was pretty hard on the the offensive game plan and and Kenny Dillingham and team on that game, and kind of in reflection. You know, and, and and having heard and listened to some other things that other people said that I thought were really really smart. You know, I probably was a bit overreactive. I think if you take into account that that Bo likely didn't practice, or I, I'm pretty sure didn't practice the whole week, and they weren't sure he was going to be able to play, the game plan that they put in place for this probably factored. You know, assumed Ty Thompson would be playing. Uh, instead of Bo. And so that was the game plan that they put in place. You know, a lot of screen games, get the ball out quick, uh, you know, not not put the quarterback in a position to have to make a lot of reads and a lot of uh, quick decisions. And then when it turned out Bo could play, you know, it's not like they can go redo the whole game plan, right? So Yeah, you practiced what you practiced all week. Yeah, yeah. So I think in, the, in that, thinking about it in that way, I think it, it makes a little more sense and why the game plan was what it was and, and why I maybe, maybe myself and some Oregon fans were frustrated with it. Um, but that assuming, I think it's a pretty safe assumption that that same situation isn't going to repeat itself this week. I mean, they know Bo's playing, so they're going to have, they're going to game plan for the fact that Bo's playing. Obviously it's not a hundred percent Bo. It's not pre-injury Bo, but it's still Bo. And that's still going to be a different game plan, um, not not only because it's a different opponent, but also because, you know, you know that you have this quarterback playing instead of, you know, the other quarterback playing. So I think that gives me a little bit more optimism that we're going to see uh, potentially more points, um, more points from Oregon this week and a, and a more effective offense in the second half. Yeah, and I, I think that, like, from a matchup perspective, with all of that being said and, and kind of taking into context what – what the situation was last week from a game plan and preparation standpoint, the fact that they didn't know that they were even going to be able to play Bo until the day of the game. Um, I think that this is a really, really good matchup for Oregon offensively, just due to the fact that Oregon state is extremely poor. Um, 101st in EPA per rush defended Um, in terms of their defensive line. They are 81st also in line yards allowed. This is a very, very poor um, defensive line in front seven from stopping the run standpoint. Uh, And so I think that with Bo being a focal point of the offense, again, not from a run game standpoint, but just understanding what you're going to be able to get from your quarterback, they're going to be able to run the ball here. They're going to be able to find ways to, they're going to be able to find creative ways to hold that extra number out of the box or out of the run game, whether it's through uh, vertical RPOs, um, some a bit more of the screen stuff that they did, maybe some quarter and half rolls off play action, uh, maybe just some more line up and smash you uh, numbers runs from like 14 personnel, that kind of stuff like Stanford used to always do to us. Uh, I, I just think that there's going to be ways that Kenny Dillingham and this offensive staff uh, can find ways to regain the numbers 
um, in the box and, and find the run game. Because when I look at the personnel for this Oregon State defensive front, guys like Isaac Hodgins, um, Simon Sandberg, like these are guys that I frankly don't have a lot of respect for from the, from their ability to sit in an anchor against an offensive line as talented as Oregon's. Um, especially if Alex Forsyth finds his way back onto the field and we can kind of get back to our starting offensive line this week. I think we're going to have a lot of success just flat out moving those guys off their spots um, and, and forcing Oregon State to kind of get out of that too high shell they've played all year and start bringing bodies down. Um, the secondary is very good for Oregon State. It, they're 16th in EPA per pass defended. That's an, that's an elite number. Um, Oregon is 6th. Uh, an EPA per pass, uh, dropping down two spots after last week. Uh, this is a matchup where it's not going to be as much, I don't think, about sustained success throwing the ball because I do. I have a lot of respect for the personnel in this in this Oregon State secondary, but I do think that you're going to have to find a way to get an explosive or two. Um, interestingly enough, the emergence of Dante Thornton, I think is where that might come from. Uh, now with Thornton and Franklin, both on the field at the same time, you have two of the faster receivers in the conference out there. Uh, Thornton likely maybe the fastest receiver in the conference, um, give, gives you an opportunity to, to take some play action shots and maybe get on top of somebody, uh, because there's not, there's not many corners in the country that could run with, with Thornton. I mean, even, even Clark Phillips, who I think would, I would argue is maybe the first or second fastest corner maybe only behind Gonzo in the conference was having a hard time keep up last week. And so some, some select shots, some good, some well set up shot plays off of, off of an established run and play action um, might be enough to op- open this thing up a little bit and get the passing game going. Yeah. I think hopefully if you're Oregon, you can use the run to open up the pass, right? I, I think if, if the Beavers are able to keep the Oregon running game in check without coming out of their, they're kind of too high shell, you know, um, defense. And it could be a long night for Oregon. I, I think, you know, credit to James Crepia uh, in his podcast, Ducks Confidential. He was pointing out that the Beavers have been really exceptional this year in preventing long passes uh, in, in the mm-hmm. middle of the field, particularly. In fact, they have, I think they're, I think he pointed out their, their touchdown to interception ratio from outside the the 40 yard line on long on long attempts was was zero touchdowns and 10 interceptions. So, um, you know, you have to be careful in taking those shots and making sure that that that's there. And I think that's where you need the run game to kind of open that up and bring their safeties down a little bit. I think this um, is, otherwise you got to probably work the middle of the field a little bit underneath. 100%. Like using mesh, getting crossers, because Oregon has a definitive speed advantage on the outside, um, especially if you can get your backs, like running those Texas routes to guys like Mark, uh, Bart Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington. I think this might be a game, too, where we see Oregon start to favor heavier personnel packages, uh, playing more 12 personnel, maybe some 13. The reason I say that is because what you can do is, like Oregon State, because of the, the way that that roster is set up and where their talent is would prefer to play five or six defensive backs. Like they, they play a ton of nickel. They're almost a base nickel team. Well, like as much as Jaden Grant is a really solid nickel player for them. And, and then he can, he backs up to center field to, or to deep safety at times, like force him to play in the box, force him to get off of a block from uh, Maliki Montevideo or Terrence Ferguson and make a play in the run game, like make them go heavy Make them sub out their talented defensive backs for linebackers and defensive linemen, where they don't have necessarily a ton of depth or, or uh, depth of talent, and, and make them play our game. That's this is one of the benefits for Oregon that we've been talking about going all the way back to the preseason, where 
you have such a diverse and talented group of skill players and so much depth at every skill spot that now like you get to dictate to Oregon state, what personnel they're going to put on the field. And if Oregon state's committed to playing five defensive backs, make them match up and stop the run in that personnel grouping, make the seventh guy in the box, be a, a, a 180 pound safety. And if they want to do that and that's what they want, they want to keep those defensive backs on the field. You, you, Oregon should be able to assert their will up front, stay ahead of the chains and then pick their spots in the passing game. Yeah, I think it's a game where maybe you just have to have that kind of patience, right? Like, like go back to the the twenty play drive a couple of games ago, right? You just you kind of just say, you know what? If that's what you're going to give us, we're just going to take the four to five yards and march down the field on you. Um, and and eventually they're going to have to adapt if that's if that's working. So I think maybe you know Kenny and the and the offense maybe just have to to take what's there, uh, like you said, use the use the matchups to dictate personnel and. Uh, and and be willing to march down the field. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. It's uh, it's it's going to be, I think, more of a chess match with Bo being. Because here's the deal: like, if Bo's healthy, I really don't think there's a whole lot that Oregon State can do to stop Oregon. Um, just because having that running threat from your quarterback, even if it's not deployed all the time, forces a certain level of respect in the way that a defensive coordinator can play you. Uh, that they can't really force right now. They have to. They have to find a way to force that through other means. Um, it means that we haven't necessarily seen deployed a lot for this year. Like we haven't really seen a lot of second and third level RPO reads from 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 Bo Nix and the Oregon offense. And so, uh, whether that's how they do it or if they decide to just pack it in and go heavy, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how how Dillingham and the staff decide to attack. Absolutely. Uh, anything more on this one, or do we want to get to our picks? Yeah, let's get to our picks. All right, so we've got Oregon as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I know the line kind of moved around on this one a little bit early. That I got it locked in at three-and-a-half for this. Um, I will go first. I, I've got the Ducks. I've got the Ducks um, covering this line. I think they win by – it's not going to be an easy game. Oregon State's going to give it everything they have. I think Oregon's going to win this game by a touchdown. Yeah, I think Bo Nix being healthier, the, the extra week of rehab um, – all of the above, I think, just really contribute to a more explosive Oregon offense than a week ago and a much more successful run game. Uh, and there was a lot of offensive linemen that were questionable last week with the flu. Um, even prior to the game, there were questions about Bass. There were questions about JPJ um, and Walk. Uh, Forsyth missed the game. Getting those guys healthy and back, I think, is going to help. But, yeah, I, I like the Ducks to cover this. I don't th- – this – this is a really important game for Oregon. You don't want to be leaving your conference title hopes in the hands of Washington State or of anybody else. And so uh, coming out here, this is just as an important game, if not a more important game for Oregon than it is for Oregon State. I think both teams are going to be ready to go, and I think that Oregon's able to exercise a talent advantage uh, and score more points. I think that the Oregon defense is going to have a lot of success against this Oregon State attack. Yeah, I don't think this game's going to be a shootout by any stretch. I mean, Oregon State's defense is probably the best in the conference. Uh, Oregon, uh, you know, obviously prior prior to Bo's injury, has statistically the best offense in the country. I think they're still in the top five. So, but Oregon State will find a way to slow it down for with the injury considerations as well. I, I kind of see this game being high twenties, low thirties. Uh, you know, for Oregon and maybe Oregon State being in the in the low to mid twenties range. Yeah, I, I just I really don't think that Oregon State's going to be able to throw the ball. Um, 
in any with any consistency. They haven't on anybody. I don't. I really don't like Ben Gobranson um, at all. And so, if, if Oregon can can be competitive and stop the run at least can somewhat consistently and find some stops, um, I think they'll have success in the red area. Keep 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 Oregon State to field goals. I think Oregon can win this game by seven to nine points. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, let's move on. UCLA at Cal, uh, battle of the uh, University of California schools, uh, which has some extra interest this year with the uh, Regents meeting and UCLA leaving the conference and all that stuff. So kind of fun there. UCLA is a 10-point road favorite coming off of their devastating home loss to the Trojans last week. How do you see this one? I considered taking Cal, but then I remembered that Cal's offense still sucks, and so I'm going to take UCLA. I mean, Cal's offense showed some signs of life against Stanford last week, QB. Didn't they only <laughs> score 27 points? Yeah, something like that. And I think, think they needed like three touchdowns in the fourth quarter to come back and win that game. So Yeah, and do you think that do you think that UCLA is scoring less than 35 in this game? No, I I think UCLA I'm taking UCLA as well. I think I think they're going to bounce back uh, big time after last week's, uh, you know, disappointing loss. And they'll take this one home in DTR's last uh, regular season game as a Bruin. I agree. And that will also put to rest any chance of the Huskies making the title game if UCLA wins. Perfect. And that game's on Friday. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm pulling up our doc here so that I can... That's okay. We'll go over to Utah at Colorado. Uh, (laughs) The age-old question, QB, 29.5 this week. It's not a 30-point spread. It's only a 29.5-point spread. And it's not enough points. I'm taking Utah. What? What? I think I'm nine and two betting on whoever is playing Colorado to cover, regardless of the point spread, with like zero thought or logic behind it. And so I'm going to continue to do that. Um, if if it goes ten and two, this is like the most solidified principle in the history of football. Yeah, ten and two, ten and two uh, would be would be, and especially considering the the sheer vastness of some of these lines. Like I think he had, they had three 30 plus point lines in a row in conference play. Like that's just unheard of. And they didn't cover any of them. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm rolling with Utah. I think they're going to bounce back. I, 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 I have a lot of questions about Utah's game plan against Oregon last week, or maybe their health or maybe both. I don't know, but I, regardless, they're going to go into Colorado. They're going to go into Boulder and I think they're going to roll it up. So Colorado is the like tool that fixes anything that's broken with your offense. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So as we move on, we've got uh, Notre Dame coming in to LA to play USC in the Coliseum. USC is a five and a half point favorite in the rivalry game. They play for a trophy. Can't remember what the trophy's called. Um, they do. I didn't yeah, know yeah, they do. It's a trophy game. Um, I'm I'm going to take Notre Dame to cover the five and a half. Just from a matchup standpoint, I think that Notre Dame has found the run game recently. I've lost enough money betting on Notre Dame this year or against Notre Dame um, to kind of learn what they are. And at this point, they're a very solid defense. They do a really good job of limiting explosive plays through the air, as we saw against Ohio State uh, and North Carolina. And I think that what they're going to be able to do here is kind of put a put a uh, lid on this USC offense and force them to execute um, and, and which is going to shorten the game limit possessions and I think give Notre Dame a chance not only to cover but win this one um, especially with how bad USC's 
rush defense has been this year. So I'm going to take the Irish uh, plus the five and a half. Well, if the Irish win, they will be taking home the jeweled shillelagh. Shillelagh. Which is the name of the shillelagh, the jeweled shillelagh, because apparently Notre Dame has rivalry trophy games and and multiple shillelaghs are involved. They have a Purdue one and and maybe another one as well. But the, the one that they play USC for is the jeweled shillelagh. What's a shillelagh? So, I really don't know, to be honest. It, it, it looks like a club is the picture of it. It's Sweet. like a, it's like a, it's an Irish club. It's made of oak saplings from Ireland. That's and it cool. has a, like a big, like, you know, you go back. Have you seen gangs of New York, right? Nope. You've never seen gangs of New York. Nope. Wow. Okay. Well, you should go watch that movie. It's good. Okay. I was going to point out it's the, uh, the, the guy at the beginning of the movie. One of the, one of the guys has what I think is a shillelagh. It's this big club that he uses to, you know, attack people in the gang fights. So. Interesting. I think it probably has some long tradition back in Ireland. So, so wait, Notre Dame is there. Never mind. We're not going there. Okay. Okay. Move, yes. Moving forward. Um, <laughs> I haven't made my pick yet. Um, I'm going to take USC in this one. I think uh, I, I like everything you said, and you very well could be right. Uh, but I think USC smelling the playoffs, and I think Notre Dame is going to slow them down a little, but I don't think they're going to be able to score enough to keep up with. Caleb Williams and the USC uh, passing attack. And I think USC covers. All right. Uh, Washington goes on the road for the apple cup to play Washington state and Pullman. Uh, Washington is a two point road favorite. What's your take on that one? This one's really interesting to me. Cause when it first came out that they were playing at seven 30 at night and Pullman and the apple cup, I thought, well, it could be cold. It could be snow uh, that might favor the Cougars and slowing down the Washington passing attack a bit, but it sounds like the weather's going to be pretty clear. It'll be cold, but clear. It doesn't sound like there's much snow or or even much weather, rain or wind or anything either. So uh, Washington state's defense is certainly capable. And I think they will slow down Washington's passing attack to a degree. I just keep coming back to, can the Cougar offense do enough to, to keep this one close or even win. And, and I just don't have a lot of confidence there as bad as, as bad as Washington's uh, defense is. I just don't know that the Cougars are equipped to take advantage of Washington's biggest weaknesses. So I think I'm going to take the Huskies to cover. Yeah. I've gone back and forth on this one. I've, I've considered putting a little bit of scratch down on the, on the Washington state money line. Uh, I don't, my main issue here is just, I, I lack faith in um, Cameron Ward and his consistency because I, I actually think that of all the teams in the conference, I mean, other than maybe Oregon State, I think that Washington State probably has the best chance to defend this passing game. But I keep coming back to that final drive for Oregon where they were able to get the isolation between uh, Troy Franklin and the state, one of the safeties for Washington State, which I think is a matchup that if – if Kalen DeBoer and his staff can, I can create um, is something that they can really make a lot of hay on. Uh, and so for that reason alone, I'm going to take Washington to cover. I think that their staff is very competent. Um, and I think that Penix in, in the passing game, if weather is good, are going to be a little bit too much for, for Washington state to, uh, to, to match and keep up with. So uh, I, I will note though, that defensively um, like, Washington State's strength is definitely stopping the run, and Washington's run game is 
really nothing to write home to mom about. Uh, but Washington State is 72nd EPA per pass. So I think Washington's going to win this game, uh, and I think that they're going to cover. Yep, I agree. All right, let's move over to BYU at Stanford. Uh, so this is uh, Stanford's last home game, last game of the year. They won't be at a bowl. Uh, BYU, obviously, we saw them at Autzen earlier in the year. They're, they're a team that has certainly had a very disappointing year relative to their expectations coming into the season. They had a lot of injuries that contributed to that, but also I think they just played a considerably more difficult schedule this year than they had the last couple, and, and I think some of their talent deficiencies have, have been exposed because of that. So they are a six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Stan- Stanford in this one, and I'm going to take BYU. I think Stanford's just a really, really terrible football team. They don't have a good offense. They don't have a, a good defense. Um, I think BYU has enough to win this game, and and I think they cover, they, they cover the six-and-a-half, so I'm going with BYU. Yeah, I'm hammering this. In fact, I'm alt line betting this this weekend. I think that's. I think BYU is just going to blow Stanford out. Um, Stanford is the is the cure for a common poor run offense. Uh, they are 130th in line yards uh, allowed per rush. They're 130th in EPA per rush. This is out of 131, by the way. Um, you, uh, BYU. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good question. I don't have the answer off the top of my head here, um, but. They, they are horrible. And their pass defense, although they do have some talent in the secondary, is not much better because they're like their leading tacklers are safeties and corners. Um, and so I, I think that Jaron Hall getting healthier, Puka Nakua, uh, I think they're able to, to score 40 in this game without too much stress. And this Stanford offense isn't good for much other than occasionally lucking into a, a long field goal opportunity for their kicker who apparently has unlimited range. So uh, this game I think is – is a multiple score win for BYU. All right. Last but not least, the Territorial Cup, probably one of the most hated rivalries uh, in this conference and and around the country, and probably one of the more under underappreciated or underknown rivalries in the country. Um, Arizona State's going to Arizona. Uh, Arizona's a four-point home favorite here. Uh, they win this. They get to five wins on the season, which would be certainly – a substantial improvement over last year's total. What do you got in this one, QB? Um, I'm taking Arizona State. Uh, four was a is is a little bit too rich for me. I think that this is a pretty close game. Um, Arizona offensively uh, elite in in some in some facets, uh, and I think that they're going to be able to put up a lot of points. On, I think this is going to be a shootout. Basically, is where I'm trying to get with this in, in an elongated format here. Um, Arizona can't stop the run. Arizona State would like to run the ball, and I think that they're going to find a way to be pretty successful on the ground in this game, which I think is going to give them like a consistent way to match scores, keeping this a tight game throughout. And uh, I think ultimately that Arizona State finds a way to cover here. Yeah, normally I would say, well, Arizona State's kind of quit on this season, and you saw that last week at home against the Beavers, but it's it's a rivalry game, so that kind of changes things a little bit. Um, and I, I, I've kind of been back and forth on this one. I, on the one hand, I feel like Arizona is going to like pass all over, um, you know, the, the sun devils and, and put up a lot of points. But like you said, on the other hand, you know, Arizona can't stop any, it couldn't stop me running, running the ball, let alone anybody else. So um, it, it's a tough one. I think you're right. I think if it was a two and a half point spread, I'd probably take the wildcats, but at four, it, it puts me right out of that comfort zone and I'm with you. I'm going to take the sun devils. 
Alrighty, so as we transition here to our national games, uh, we start off with a Big 12 matchup between two Texas schools, Baylor and going to Austin to take on the Longhorns. Texas is an eight and a half point favorite at home. Uh, I'll lead off with this one. I'm taking Texas to, to cover at home. This is a really important game for them. If they want to have any chance of making the Big 12 title game, this is a must win. So must win at home against a Baylor team that I, frankly, at this point, I just don't think is all that great. Um, I'm I'm going to go ahead and take the horns here, with the and drop the eight and a half. Yep, yep. I had Texas as well. I I think, yeah, I, I think we're going to get the Texas team that you know looks like world beaters or looks like they're a top fifteen team in this game. And I think uh, Baylor, Baylor gave it everything they had last week, and I think it, it they just came up short. And I don't. I think that's going to carry over into this game, and I think Texas uh, Texas rolls. So give me give me the Longhorns. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Baylor this year has actually not stopped the run particularly well. Um, so I think Bijan Robinson goes off here and, and and creates room for honestly a passing game that's been somewhat underwhelming, considering the parts like it, it's not performing to the level that you would expect with players like Quinn Ewers and um, Xavier Worthy and Jatavian Sanders. So. Uh, I think the run game carries the horns here to the win. All right, let's move on to Florida at Florida State. So a big rivalry game down there in the Sunshine State. Florida started the season, obviously, with the big win over Utah, you know, had some early success and have kind of really floundered of late, um, not looked good at all the, coming down the home stretch of the season. They are a nine-and-a-half-point underdog going to Tallahassee. And conversely, the the Seminoles are are kind of rolling right now. I think they've they've obviously they beat LSU early in the year and then kind of had some some stumbles there, kind of early midseason. But then I think they've kind of been on a roll in the ACC, which is obviously not a great league. But I think the Seminoles are on the rise, and I think they're going to win this one pretty handily. So give me Florida State to cover. Yep, I'm taking Florida State. I'd take Florida State there up to ten and a half. I think is where I'd probably start to switch over and consider Florida. Um, Florida State's offense really good. They're getting healthier on defense. Florida, I, I don't really know what to think after that game to Vandy last week. I'm sure they'll be fired up. Um, it's it's a it's a rivalry game, but it's on the road, um, and and I expect that Tallahassee will be buzzing for this one. So I'll be taking Florida State as well. Uh, moving up to the Big Ten, we go to Columbus, Ohio uh, for the game. Michigan goes on the road to Ohio State, two 11-0 teams, uh, ranked second and third in the college football playoff poll. Uh, Ohio State is a seven-and-a-half-point home favorite. I'm going to be taking Michigan plus the points here. Um, I would start to consider Ohio State at seven, so I think that they're about a half point off of where I'd take the Buckeyes. Um I just think that the injuries at the skill possessions for both of these skill positions for both of these teams, uh, Blake Corum coming off of a, a supposedly a, a knee contusion. We'll see how healthy he is on Saturday. Uh, Donovan Edwards has missed some time. I mean, o- Ohio State is just missing a lot of guys. They're missing uh, Trayvon Henderson at running back. Mayan Williams was carted off not that long ago. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba really hasn't played at all since that Notre Dame game earlier on in the season. I just think that they're missing a lot of parts um, to an offense that, while it's been elite this year, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna think we're gonna learn a lot more uh, on Saturday than we know to this point. But this should be a crazy game. I'm really interested to see what the TV ratings are for this. I think this might be 
one of the it, probably the best rated game of, of the season. So, uh, but yeah, give me Michigan plus seven plus the seven and a half. Yeah, I also have Michigan in this one as well. I think it's going to be a one score game either way. So I, the seven and a half is what pushes it over the top for me. Um, you know, the Big Ten this year is really outside of these two teams is is really down quite a bit in the middle. So you know, both these teams are eleven and zero. But you look across the slate of their schedules, and and I mean they have good wins on there, but but they don't have any any wins that really jump out at you as being like, wow, that was an impressive victory over a really good opponent, right? They've either got impressive victories over bad opponents or narrow victories over over some good opponents, and then even some narrow victories over bad opponents. So it, it's really, I think this is with strength on strength. We're going to see what these teams have against each other, and I think it's going to be a just a knockdown drag out slugfest and it's going to come down to the wire and uh, I'm going to take Michigan as well. I don't think they necessarily win, but I think the seven and a half is just too much. Yeah. Uh, going on to the egg bowl. One of the, I mean, for people out West, maybe they don't know as much about this rivalry. This is like legitimately one of the three or four nastiest rivalries in all of college football. We have uh, the, the fighting Mike Leeches of Mississippi state going on the road to fight the, the fighting Lane Kiffins of Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss is a two and a half point road or home favorite. Uh, I am taking Ole Miss. Uh, I think some of the rumors that Ole Miss um, or that Lane Kiffin is staying at Ole Miss are going to be are going to help with maybe some of the distractions of this game. Uh, from a matchup standpoint, I've always favored favored Ole Miss at this game, uh, just based on the fact that they run the ball extremely well, probably one of the most potent running teams in the country, and. From from a stylistic standpoint, defensively, they, they play a lot of dime. They're actually a base dime defense, which if you're playing against an air raid team, it's probably the best base defense to run. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Ole Miss uh, minus the two and a half here to cover at home. Yeah, I also have Ole Miss in this one. I think they win outright, um, and I think you know they win by you know maybe a touchdown, maybe even more. Um, Mississippi State, you know, Mike wants to be a, a, a passing team, right? But he's not very good at it. They're they're 87th in EPA pass this year. Uh, granted, Ole Miss doesn't defend the pass very well, but it's kind of weakness on weakness there. But on the other side of the ball, as you mentioned, Ole Miss runs the ball really well. Mississippi State does not defend the run very well at all. Um, so I think I think the the home crowd will be the difference here as well. So I like the Rebels to, to especially after kind of their beatdown last week. I think they're going to bounce back and and uh, take this one. Yeah, the, the the Mississippi State offense has not been operating at like peak efficiency now for the better part of a month. Um, they've kind of had a little bit of a slump here. And maybe they can get it right against this Ole Miss secondary, but I just think that the way that they align and play structurally is going to be enough to slow down Mississippi State and give Ole Miss a chance to win this game and cover. So uh, moving on to probably the most hated rivalry game in all of college football. Uh, we, we slide over a state to Alabama for the Iron Bowl. Uh, Auburn goes on the road to play Bama. Bama's a 21-and-a-half-point road favorite. I'm taking Alabama to cover. I, I just don't know where the points come from for Auburn. So, like, if Auburn only scores 10, I think that Bama can get to 32. Yeah, 21-and-a-half is a lot in a, in a rivalry game, and, and Auburn is always outmatched at this game, but somehow they manage to win one every few years and, and keep a lot of other ones close. So I'm tempted, I'm tempted to take Auburn and the points because of that. But on the other Howard. hand, 
<laughs> you didn't take them either. On the other <laughs> hand, I'm not the one making the argument. <laughs> this is the worst Auburn team in quite some time with with uh, an offense that is just dread. Like their their passing offense could not be worse. Um, I mean, they really have no passing offense uh, at all, um, and they're you know they're playing basically a wildcat offense like 100 percent of the time. So I think Alabama is going to roll this one up, and I'm going to take them to cover as well. Which brings us to our final game, one that should be near and dear to your heart, and I'm sure it has a name and a trophy that you will tell me all about. Minnesota at Wisconsin, Big Ten rivalry. Wisconsin's a three-point home favorite. Tell me about this rivalry. Um, Well, uh, I'm on the Wisconsin side of this rivalry. Um, I'm trying to find a, a full, like, I'm curious. So the first meeting was November 15th of 1890. So this is a very old rivalry. Uh, Minnesota won that game 63 to nothing. It's probably the best Minnesota team that they've ever had. Um, <laughs> I remember that team. They yep. were really good. Oh, yeah. So they, they played for Paul Bunyan's axe, which is actually probably, in my opinion, and I'm biased again as, as a Wisconsin fan, the best trophy for all trophy games in college football. Um, but this game this year is going to be super low scoring. I'm actually curious what the over-under is on this one. Um if you could pull that up here while I go, it I would, is 36. Oh, I am slamming under <laughs> that is way too high. Uh, it's going to be cold. The, both these teams have much better defenses than offense. Uh, both, neither of these teams has a quarterback that could dependably throw the ball more than five yards downfield. Uh, and both teams have super elite running backs. Uh, Minnesota's Mah- uh, Muhammad Ibrahim and uh, Wisconsin's Braylon Allen. Uh, I'm going to be taking the Badgers in this because the Badgers absolutely own the Gophers traditionally, uh, especially in the last 30 or 40 years. They've just beaten the hell out of them. Um, the The longest win streak here is Wisconsin from 2004 to 2017. It was 14 straight games, um, although w- w- Minnesota did reclaim the axe a year ago. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and take, take the uh, Badgers to cover the three points and to win this game. But I'm going to be hammering the under on this game because I have I don't I don't think this gets beyond 30 points. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go at you. I'm gonna take Minnesota in this one. You're pandering to a certain group of Duck fans that from Minnesota that we know, but it's fine. I'll, I'll accept. I'm it. not pandering at all. I just wanted to go against you, and I think Muhammad Abraham is gonna run wild and and uh, no, this gonna... is this is legitimately one of the better running back matchup games of the entire it season. Is. Yeah. Like these, these two backs are super elite, and unfortunately, they just play in the, some of the most Stone Age, archaic, and incompetent offenses in all of college football. So um, whoever has the be- better day between Ibrahim and Allen likely wins uh, wins back or, or maintains Paul Bunyan's axe. I think Minnesota is going to get their, their first back-to-back victories in this series since 1993-94. Yeah, I really hope that's not the case. This is also in Madison, and I know that Badger fans are going to be going bonkers for this game. So going to be a crazy environment in Camp Randall. Um, I'm going to be watching this game with bated breath while a lot of people avoid this game like a plague, understanding that it's going to be a punt fest for the most part of three and a half hours. So you know this game is being played at the same time as the Civil War. Yeah, and I will have this on the screen right next to the Civil War. The two, the double screen setup. That's the beauty of the modern age, right? Like you can watch five games at once if you have. Well, I don't need sound for Wisconsin, Minnesota. There's not going to be like, (laughs) there's you like Wisconsin, Wisconsin sound either for the Oregon game unless you want to listen to Gilmore. 
Wait, there's no way he's calling our game again. Gilmore is calling our game. I can't believe you didn't hear this. No, what? Why? I thought it's an it's a it's a mystery. Nobody knows why they're bringing Gilmore in from ESPN to ABC from late night to twelve thirty kickoff. Wait, 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 wait. What? Okay, hold on. Does that mean that this game is being broadcasted in four eighty p as well? I hope not. Because every time Rod Gilmore calls an Oregon game, we also get the crappy truck. Like, this is just like the low budget. Why are they putting this on ABC at 12.30 with this crew? I I, I don't know. I don't know. Nobody oh knows. Oh, my gosh. I it's hate mystery. this crew. This crew yeah, they're sucks. bad. They're terrible. They're terrible. Oh, okay. Well, that honestly is... Maybe I will be listening to the Wisconsin game to sound on. <laughs> I'm glad that I could provide this public service for you, QB. That's brutal. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, Wisconsin-Minnesota is the kind of game that you really only have to look at over about every 10 minutes because drives are extremely slow going. Uh, first downs usually take all take three to four plays to make, to get, and – it's going to be just a slow-ass football game, but it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Dave Fleming, Rod Gilmore, and Tiffany Blackman on the call. Tiffany Blackman doesn't deserve to be slandered, but but Rod Gilmore specifically is the least talented person. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be hyperbolic here and say to ever uh, commentate a football game, and I haven't listened to everybody to ever do it. But I really have a hard time imagining that there's somebody who does less research, who knows has less of like an instinctive understanding of the way that football is played in 2022, um, and that like I I th- I don't think he really watches college football. Like I don't think he understands like how teams are in 2022, uh, kind of the general dynamics of a season. I I, I think he's a complete nutter moron, and I, I I'm sure he's a nice guy but he has no business being on television talking about the sport. I just don't understand how ESPN after all these years has like, really you can't find somebody better. Like I find that hard to believe. I think you could hold an open tryout on Oregon state's campus, find two students who are more qualified to talk about this game than Rod Gilmore. Like, I I think this is something that that all PAC 12 fans can can like unite upon like we all hate Rod Gilmore because he, he doesn't know anything about any of our teams. And no, it's like like he just shows up and wings it. Yeah. Like, like I do for the podcast. (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to go there, but now that you mentioned it, (laughs) like what? That's my gig. Like you can't steal my shtick. So I don't know. I don't know, QB, but I think we're we're about at time here, and we've got uh, turkey to eat tomorrow and mashed potatoes and gravy, of course, and, and some NFL football to watch. And I got to tell you, I got the worst bad beat in my uh, work fantasy football league last week, so I need to I need to bounce back this this week. I led I led big time going into Monday night. I had two guys playing; he had three playing. I was like an eighty five percent you know winner, and his three guys all just went off, including a kicker. And, uh, yeah, I yeah, lost I, by a couple points. It was brutal. Are you in the playoffs? I will be in the playoffs, and I think I have a really good shot to make a run, but that he was the number one seed, and I was going to knock him off, and then he just had this, like, epic comeback on Monday Night Football. And yeah. I, I, 
I almost rage quit. It was it was brutal. Yeah, well, as somebody who's the number one seed in both of their leagues, I can't, I really can't relate to that struggle. But it's. Uh... <laughs> I, I don't want to wish injury upon your fantasy football league players, QB, but you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, some sort of karma there if it happened with it. I, my team has been absurd this year. I've scored 200 more points in the next highest scoring team in my league. Well, wow. in this I've game. had the, yeah, that's great. So the word, the league I'm telling you about, I actually have the second most points in the league on the season, but I'm four and six. So how does that even happen? I I'm getting like everybody's best game. So in this league, I've scored fifteen hundred and sixty-two points. Wow! And the the next highest is thirteen seventy-nine. Wow! Well, good luck, my friend. Hopefully, you got a good uh, pot of money on the line. Yeah, it's you, you, the home stretch. They're all so. This is a twelve-team, fifty-dollar pot or per per okay. person league. Yeah, and then my other league is a. Uh, 10 team $50 per person league. So both, both are pretty large pots. If I could win one of these, it'll make me happy. I'll bet. All right, man. Well, you enjoy your holiday tomorrow and, uh, and I will as well. And we'll be uh, watching the ducks on Saturday and we'll talk about it with everyone on Sunday. Excellent. Uh, make sure to, to follow the pod at QB 11 SD or sorry, at QB 11 show on Twitter. Uh, and we will talk to you guys all after hopefully a successful Saturday of football. Have a great weekend and be safe, everybody. Call Ubers. Don't drink and drive.